What's up, guys? It's uh, It's been a while, and I apologize for that, but we're hitting the floor running. And this episode is, is one that's very personal to me because the outdoors and hunting have really changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I love both of them. They've both enhanced me in different ways, and it's, it's something that I share a deep passion for, as well as our guest, Logan Hanks. He runs the Living Fully Loaded podcast. You can find him on Instagram. Just a really good dude, a good friend of mine, and we have differing opinions on what hunting is. Uh, we both love it. We just have different takes on it. We, we have different approaches, and that's the cool thing that I will always say about Logan is that even though we might have you know fundamental agreement but there's nuance that is challenging and difficult and we hear these things brought up a lot and we just covered a lot of ground in this if you're a new hunter we cover some information about how to get into hunting some of the pitfalls to avoid if you're more of a veteran or a long-standing hunter we might give you something food for thought or something to chew on uh, that's one of the things that i appreciate most about logan is that no matter how firm his stance is he's willing to meet me in the middle and we'll talk about things and we'll navigate it and it always turns out to be fun and it always seems to be good enjoyable conversation so Without dragging this out too much, we'll get right into the show. I appreciate you listening. Give us five stars. Share this. Uh, whatever you can do, it helps. It really does help. And I appreciate every single one of you. Have a great day. love and meat podcast sitting with my good buddy logan hanks and uh we actually started this conversation the other night like like many of our conversations do they they jump all over the place but we were talking just on the phone there and got into talking about hunting and you know, the cool thing about logan and i and one of the reasons he's one of my favorite people is that we at the core of our value systems i think we're very very similar but where the branches of those trees run can be a little bit different. And we talk about those things. We explore those ideas. He has definitely helped me understand a, a different view on many, many topics and, and really just kind of broaden my horizons. And I hope I do the same for him, but this is something that is, is deeply passionate to both of us in, in a couple different directions in a couple different ways. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to portray myself as, this legendary type hunter. I'm, I'm just a very, very avid enthusiast of the outdoors of hunting and, and proving myself as a hunter. Um, and I had some pretty big revelations this year and that's kind of what, what generated the conversation with Logan is that, you know, sometimes I need people to kind of be a litmus test or the, the, the barriers of entry on, on certain ideas that I have. And, and just, am I crazy here for thinking this or what do you think about that? And it just generated a, a really nice conversation uh, one, we wanted to address some some topics so that if anybody is listening to this that has any interest whatsoever in becoming a hunter, um, we might be able to answer some of those initial entry type questions. Certainly not experts, but just two guys that have done it ourselves, um, got great people around us that have shown us a better way at, at times. But with all that being said, man, thanks for being here and thanks for the conversation that sparked this podcast. Man, yeah, I'm honored. I'm always honored to to chat with you, man. Like I said, you become one of my close friends. And um, yeah, you've certainly challenged me <clears throat> to think outside of my uh, 
my little box because I have a very, a lot of times a very small box that I, I'm thinking inside of. And uh, so now, man, I'm, I'm always, always happy to talk to you. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate your friendship. Well, I think what one of the topics that we'll jump right into is I had, I had started to somewhat claim or proclaim myself as a bow hunter and I was able to take my rifle uh, on this elk hunt with uh, Chino and take a rifle. I actually ended up using one of their, they have amazing, far better rifles than I own. So it was, it was an easy choice there, but it ended up being one of their rifles that I got to use. And I had listened to a podcast by Steve Ranella. I know he's a little bit controversial at times because of the meat eater association and things like that. Um, but nevertheless, he's a very smart guy. He's a very, very well thought out person. He's written a couple of my favorite books. So he was hey, talking. Can I jump in on that real quick? Of course. All right. Um, I'm curious on Ranella. Ranella is one of my, he was one of my like favorite favorite human beings for a long time. I mean, I'm, I'm in here. Uh, I've, I've got it. There's meat eater, his book there. Yeah. And I've got a couple of them. Um, American Buffalo. I, I love That's my favorite book, by the way, dude, it's, it's a great book. And I loved his stuff. Like, and me and Marcy would want my wife, but for people who don't know, but, uh, we would be watching the frontiersman, men who built America frontiersman. Great. Show. And dude, I loved it. Vanilla. <laughs> When it when Ranella came on there and started like talking about uh, Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett, one of the, I guess it's probably Boone, um, I was like, oh man, hell yeah, Ranella. And uh, so I've been really conflicted, and I wanted to ask you because I'm curious your thoughts on this. Um, you know, Robbie was just recently in town, mm-hmm. and we we got to talking about Ranella. Uh-huh. because they just had his brother on blood origins and he blasted, different opinions. Oh dude. He blasted the shit out of Steve about the like media portrayal of hunting. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's some particular group that really blast Steve and first light and like that whole group meat eater. Mm-hmm. And Robbie, I said something to him about that. He goes, when have you ever seen Steve say anything that would make you think he's like controversial? And, you know, Giannis Patelis is the producer of Meat Eater, or he was. I don't know if he still is. Yeah. And I saw Giannis say some kind of questionable stuff, but I've never seen Steve say anything that would lead me to believe. Like for people that don't know, they there's a group that says Steve is like anti two a, and he's kind of like this a bad for hunting kind of thing. They portray him as, I mean, so I'm curious, man, what, what are your thoughts? Like, cause I'll be honest. I want to like Ranella. Like I'm, I'm really, I want to like Steve. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say this and, <clears throat> and you know me, I like to play devil's advocate a little bit and I can certainly understand how a person can be dwindled down to a series of movements as a business or as a, 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 you know, a series of quotes taken out of context. So I understand the pitfalls of just casting stones at people because of what you hear. And for for me, 
I will. I'm just like you. Ranella is a is an educated, well spoken, lifelong. I mean, he he is the epitome in my mind of somebody. And if you're looking at a chronological order of things they've done, things they've achieved in the woods, the diversity of things that they've done from trapping to hunting oh, yeah. to, to fishing. Yeah. I mean, he is he is about as diverse well-traveled. I mean, he's been in South Africa or South America. I think he's gone to Africa a few times. He is about as diverse of an experienced and cultured hunter as I think you could find maybe Jim Shockey, you know, some the, somebody <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, nevertheless, I think what you're, what you're finding. And, and I find myself guilty of this too. Uh, I am so eager to have the conversation. I'm so eager to understand your side that I, I won't say that I lose ground on my side of the fence, but I'm more willing to walk to the fence and meet you in the middle on certain yeah. things than I am to just unabashedly say, no, by God, this is what I think. And F you in the process. Yeah. For me, I can sit down and, and listen, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the example and I won't bring the story into it uh, necessarily just because I don't want to distract the bigger point, but I got to listen to the mother of someone who was murdered. Uh, with a firearm. I got to listen to her speak at this presentation and she was pro second amendment. She was making that argument. Uh, and she was not mad at the gun. She was not mad at the bullet. She was not mad at the manufacturers. She was mad at our government for allowing miseducation and misunderstanding of, about the safety and the use of a lot of these weapons. So she yeah. was actually pushing for more education and more conversation. Like, if at some point, if it makes sense, let's say, you know, uh, the government somehow retracted our military down to nothing, does it still make sense at that point for the Second Amendment to be enacted against, you know, since the protection was from, quote, unquote, the, the government itself? Um, it, you know, is it necessary to maintain those arms? So I, I'm the type of person that likes to go down a series of faceted or multifaceted questions and scenarios. And like I said, I don't think I'm necessarily like, push comes to sub, shove somebody's at my doorstep i'm going to have a much different set of opinions about things than sitting across from a coffee table talking to somebody about it and i yeah. th and i think if we're looking at meat eater and and i recommend everybody go look at their stuff i think it's highly highly valuable information it's highly highly valuable videography in the field it's well done you're always oh, yeah. you're always going to get to meet some small town farmer where you know, there's a guy here that Steve hunted with squirrels with in Kentucky and he's, he's world renowned as a squirrel hunter, but you don't see that in the magazines oftentimes because it's the whitetail hunters or the elk hunters or the mule deer yeah. hunters stuff. So there's a lot of light brought to the hunting community, not just the industry of hunting through meat eaters. So I still think they're a valuable resource. I do know that they, they became more of a, an acquisition driven company. They wanted to buy up little companies and take them under the umbrella I don't know the ins and outs of the operation, but I would just speculate that at some level, as much as Steve might be the, the backbone, the heart and, and the face of the company, I think there's probably a money man somewhere saying, Hey, we need to take these positions on things, which is, we're not saying we're anti two a, but we're open to a conversation about two a. And yeah. that's the difference with me. I am very, very strongly in support of, of the second amendment. Like it, it, there's no ifs, ands or buts in there. It is, it is an inalienable birth given right. If you're a United States citizen. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to, because I have a 14 year old son, because 
I hope he has grandchildren and I hope that the world just keeps on getting better and better. I want to continue to reevaluate, not because I want to change just like your farm, man. You have to look at your farm. Am I losing money here? Am I, am I making money over here? And if I shuffled some things around just to say, at least we're addressing these concerns that way, if something, if something happens or something goes way askew, we're probably going to catch it sooner than later. And I don't know what that would necessarily be in regards to guns, because if you just do the simple math on it, there are way too many guns out there relative to the amount of violence that we see to say that guns are the problem. That's, that's where I'll leave it at that. Yeah. We would all be dead (laughs) if uh, guns were the problem. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, that's, that's where I leave it. I, I think he is, I'm surrounded in here. <laughs> I'm never far. I got I got more knives around me than I do guns right now, but I, I'm a few steps from from some firepower. But uh, as far as I would think that would just from an outside observation and maybe somewhat a selfish hope, that would be what I would expect it to be. Is that well? Under- that's you. You may be. I may be right there with you. There, you said one key thing, and. Uh, I'm this way. I maybe I give some people more grace at times than I need to. I don't know, but like, like with Steve, it maybe it is part of me that's a selfish hope. Yeah, uh, right. Like, um, I can tell you, I did that for a long time with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like yeah. he would he would say something so asinine and like against my values, and I'd be like ah, man, you know, I'd cut him some slack. I'd cut him some slack. And, and I still find myself like trying to cut him some slack, even after the dumbass thing he said about the freedom. Yeah. And he, he tried to walk it back, but he did it the whole wrong way in my opinion. So like, I don't know, like Steve has never blatantly said anything that's made me be like axing this guy out. Well, do you, do you think that there's a possibility too? And this is something that uh, I heard a guy talking about this on a podcast. He said, do you think that there's, you know, it's the old bait and switch kind of deal. You, you speak in a certain way so that you can broaden your horizons, but all they showcase is rifles, bows, you know, so I'm not saying that they're, they're doing anything incorrect or unjust or, or, you know, uh, misleading necessarily, but I think, I think you could look at that group of guys and and Steve is well known to defend hunting to non hunters specifically. Like he holds forums in that arena. So it would, it would almost be simple to believe that he enjoys that kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to push, push the the verbiage a little bit, but I'm going to drive the conversation five miles further, you know, that kind of thing. So I would say that's probably where it stems from. Now, the fact that some of the things that his brother said would make you would make you lend, lend more to the idea that it is uh, it's a little deeper than just a business decision. But again, th- there are things that you know I don't really have any context of that situation per se, but there are things that are are much smaller differences between me and my brother that I would have a blow up reaction to than you and yeah. I would have a reaction to, you know? Yeah. And I, and I would say that probably stems at some level. His brother has stayed the course of that. I, I don't want to make it sound Cause this leads into the whole context of what we're talking about. I don't want to make it sound like his brother 
is a better man or a better hunter because he stayed more blue collar and to the field and put and invested his life in the field without showcasing it. Steve just went an alternative and, and was able to develop a product as in meat eater, which really to me was driven on education was driven on helping people understand that you don't just have to fry a backstrap to make it taste good, you know? Yeah. And, and then also, Hey, if you shoot that grouse, go a little further, get every little piece of meat off of it. Just stuff like that. That's really, really helped me as a hunter, helped me appreciate even the the beef that I buy or the chicken that I buy, you know, yeah. those things, just looking at them in a different way. But I, I just think that it probably would burn me pretty bad if I grew up in a certain way with a certain set of traditions and I looked at my brother and it felt like everything he was doing was counter to that. Yeah. That, that would probably rub me a lot different than if you and I just somewhere down the line had a difference of opinion on things. Like I can't really argue with how you're raised, but like this guy was with me step for step. What the hell happened <laughs> yeah. to you, bro? Like what the yeah. hell happened? And I think his brother is just a more of a, if it's fair to say the word and use it kind of reclusive or, yeah. you know, uh, introverted a little bit more than steve is i mean it really could just be difference of difference of how they're how they're built you know and and what they feel and view but could it be any level of jealousy brother that's a that's a whole different spectrum and i think if you're talking about the human being or the human experience it it very i mean you and i talk about this too there are people that i like that i am friends with and will see their success and i will be jealous of and it's it is not like i remain overly jealous to a point where it changes my day or changes the course of my direction. But it also does feel like, man, am I just an idiot? And I think that's, you (laughs) want to, you want to give yourself the out that maybe they got a foot up or a leg up somewhere rather than maybe they're just doing a better job than you. I think so. Yeah. yeah, To answer that question. uh, Yeah, absolutely. I think jealousy could definitely play into that because we're human. He's human. Steve's human. But, um, I, I don't know that I think, uh, as I get older, I'm able to more quickly diagnose that stuff for what it is and move on and not really let it, let it carry my emotion about an idea. But now it seems like he's, they're both very, very smart. So yeah. Oh, they're freaking super smart. So <laughs> uh, if you had to pick, you got to pick ax meat grinder or, or keep, keep tuning in, which one are you doing? Uh, well, I'll, I'll just tell you this by nature of default, because my natural inclination has somewhat delineated from, from a lot of aspects of the industry of hunting. I would say at this point, I'm very, very comfortable to say I would ax meat eater if given an alternative. Um, yeah. if, if I'm only able to watch one show about hunting in the outdoors and, and get educated information, I would continue to watch that, but man, there's a lot of like, just really awesome. Like Remy Warren is one that comes to mind, you know, the solo yeah. hunter. This is a guy that hunts with a rifle, hunts with a compound, hunts with a trad bow, self films himself in just unbelievable conditions, gets it done. Yeah. His, his podcast is phenomenal too. Uh, closing the distance as far as information goes. Now it is under the meat eater realm. So see, I'd be in trouble there. So, but that's the cool thing too, is that I think meat eater has taken some of their success and shown light on other people as well. So it really does come down to, uh, you know, do you like Apple Jacks or do you like lucky charms? Like what you're not going to get a bad product watching a meat eater. And I'm not going to hate Steve Ranella 
if he takes a stance that's different than mine because of all the good he's done. It's like, you know, one pitch in a full game can ruin a perfect game, but yeah. it's still yeah. a damn good game. Um, that's yeah. the way I look at his catalog of work is the, the vast majority of it has been pretty dang good. And man, maybe he's just getting softer on his stances in his old age. I mean, I, I certainly yeah. have softened on certain things, you know, and maybe he just realizes this ain't one that's worth fighting for. Cause you, you know, you're not, you're not seeing the average hunter argue for rights to hunt with an AR 15. You know what I mean? So yeah, maybe he's not going to delve into that because it doesn't really affect anything he does. Well, you know, I had heard him say recently he bought his first AR-15. Like I was telling Rob. Well, then he's, he's the biggest gun advocate in the world now. So, it's, And, I, it's and like, I think he said in that podcast, he was like, so now I'm like one of those like uh, hardcore conservative uh, AR guys or something like kind of was making light of the situation. But, you know, that's that was something I kind of had to check my own ego earlier uh, last year. No, later last year around the elections. Like I, I always, I grew up loving and I'm not trying to chase off these rabbits here, but I grew up watching WWF back when it was still WWF. And then, then it later became WWE stone cold. Steve Austin was my homie. And, um, (laughs) the, the rock, I hated the rock because he was like the heel to stone cold basically. Yeah. And, uh, so, I never could stand the rock. Well, then when the rock got into movies, I I liked them. Like not from, I'm not going to be like, this guy is a better actor than like Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio, but he's an entertaining actor to watch. Like I enjoy watching his movies. And, um, so I have grown to like the rock and the rock does a lot of really good things for people. Like, he just gave a truck to a guy. And yeah, so I think he does that every year, man. Like he, he goes around and somebody that like just outstanding effort on the set or somebody that helps yeah. like his mom mow their yard or some shit. Like I hate the dude sometimes because it's like everything that dude touches is gold, but it, it is. And, and, but it goes back to that same thing is like, th- th- that's the, that's the devil inside of me is do I let this jealousy, you know? And, and like I said, it is, it is an immediate knee jerk, non refundable action. It's not something I <laughs> yeah. can control, but then it's immediately like he's done this with nothing. I mean, you know, yeah. he's overcome all this stuff. So yeah, that guy, I, I root for him hard. Now the one, I, the one I want to see him do well with, and I hate to interrupt you was the XFL. I hope he does something. Oh like yeah. That. yeah. Just, just in contrast to the NFL, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Get away from him. Maybe he, maybe he won't wokeify the XFL, but, um, that's that was my my wake up call. The Rock came out and he endorsed Joe Biden, and I was like, that was like the kiss of death with me. I like wrote him off. I was like, man, I have loved the Rock's movies. I loved Pain and Gain, all these movies, and then he does this crap, endorses a like this bumbling dude, um, and so. I wrote him off. Like I even unfollowed him on Instagram. I went that I was so petty that I unfollowed him on Instagram. And then, um, one day I was on Google or something and it had the little ads at the bottom, like articles. And one of them was about the rock. Like it was some awesome thing that he did. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Damn it. Like just because, and he wasn't vigilant. I'll say he wasn't like old 
Robert De Niro and be like, I want to punch him in his face, like right. about Trump. He just did come out and be like, you know, I'm endorsing Biden. He literally just shared his thoughts. And so I was like, you know what? In that situation, I'm being the asshole because I'm like, well, I hate your value. Like, I hate what you're saying. So I'm just going to nix it. Like, even though you're not being like he wasn't being a bad guy and endorsing him, I just didn't like what he was saying. So I was like, well, screw that guy. And I basically was like erasing the good stuff that I had seen him do and only thinking about this one thing. <laughs> and so I had a pretty big, like, like I said, ego check kind of thing. I followed him back and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, look, man, I'm not going to let this politics are so stupid. Yeah. I'm not going to let something like that. Like if the rock, if he shot me an email and said he wanted to come on my podcast, I'd have to go change my underwear because I'd shit myself. Like I'd be so stoked. Right. So like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to write the guy off. And, and I think that, and there's some guys in the hunting industry. I won't name their names. They're very, uh, insanely standoffish. Like they've even attacked. I mean, we talked about our good friend, Robbie, They've attacked Robbie. Um, yeah. Some people might could put the pieces together, and and I like I liked the guys, but they've gotten to the point where it's like there is no conversation to be had. Like if you're not on a total agreeance with us, then like f off, like kind of thing. And I just that that like that does nothing good for anybody. Well, I think that's a that's a perfect segue into what we're we're actually really deriving this entire conversation from, which is navigating what you see online paralleled with the feelings that you feel inside in regards to hunting, you know, having yeah. those moments that we talked about, like last year I put an unbelievable amount of pressure on myself, not, not because it was something personally, you know, like created, it was, man, I don't want to let the, you know, I don't want to let Bert down or I know that, you know, if I do well this season, that, that bodes well for Sornex Outdoors and that's media and, and all this kind of stuff. And dude, like I got really, I got really down about it. Like after the season was over and, and I, we've talked about it multiple times, um, just really kind of felt disappointed in myself that those were some of the driving thoughts. Now don't misunderstand that. I loved getting in the field. I loved hunting. I pursued a buck or I pursued a doe as if I was the same person I'd always been, but these yeah. kind of feelings and thoughts were starting to creep into where this was not the only thing I was thinking about, which was enjoying the outdoors and enjoying this. There was all these peripheral stresses. And, uh, this year I kind of had a, a different commitment and number one, it was make good choices. Like, you know, from what you wear to what you pack out there to when you eat your meals so that you're not hungry in the stand or you're not having to go shit two hours into your sit or something, you know, like try to, if you, if you want to be a better hunter, then be a better hunter, like really kind of gut check myself. And that's, and that's what I needed because the first couple of years I enjoyed it was just kind of making my way And here. And just so everybody's clear, I was a rifle hunter as a kid, uh, shot squirrel, shot rabbit, shot deer. Um, you know, and it was very much what I would consider just a traditional, southern kind of hunting upbringing and just a commonality in, in the daily life got away from that for a number of years through college got married after after college uh got into powerlifting 
went went crazy through that and everything else. But then, you know, after my, my powerlifting was over, I'd had some injuries, you know, that fire or that general desire to be, and I hate the word alpha male, but you know, to have that, that fire inside of some things at a high level and to be good at things and have skill acquisition. Well, you can say it was Rogan. You can say it was a number of influences and I'm sure all of that played into it, but it was a familiar yeah. thing I had known before. And what, what romanticized it about to me was the bow hunting. So I got back into it. I, I pursued compound bow. I'd shot a compound bow a number of years, but never really hunted with it and uh, decided that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a bow hunter, you know, kind of uh, into Cam Haynes and Dudley and all those, basically just anybody that Rogan introduced to the show, I, I investigated who they were and, and started to follow. So I'm about five years back into this kind of uh, reintroduction to hunting outdoors myself, really. And uh, one of the cool things is through that, you you make mistakes you learn about new people you see people doing things in a way that you like you see people doing things in a way that you don't like and that's the root of this conversation is how do you stay true to yourself how do you evaluate the things that you have done versus the things you will do and who do you really want to become as a hunter and for me this year was humble pie and you know to go back to the ranella quote that started all this he said when you are given a tag, the state has entered a contract with you that you will do your job and participate in the act of conservation and harvest this animal. It's a need for the population of the, of the herd. It's a need for the population on the roadways, you know, people driving to and from work, tra traveling and whatnot. That's actually, for people that don't know, that's one of the ways that the fish and wildlife, at least in the state of Kentucky, uh, decides how many tags to give is animal yeah. remover from removal from the interstate more vehicle collisions with animals or more cleanup on the interstates means that there's more animals in the population so they have an algorithm that figures that out nevertheless if you have a hundred percent of hunters go into the field and with a trad bow just because they decide that this is going to be the most challenging most uh chest thumping thing they can do and i'm not saying that at all but if that was the conclusive decision made you're going to be, be overpopulated. Run. You'd be overrun in a, you know, just a matter of years, two to three years. You'd be severely, severely uh, large numbers in the herd. Now, on the other end of it, you can't go all the way to the extreme of a rifle and have everybody hunt with a rifle, or then you would limit the number of tags so finitely, or finitely that the average person that wants to hunt would not be able to go in the field and enjoy it. So it takes all kinds. That's, yeah. that's, that's the solution. And that's the kind of the, the place that we came to. So let's dissect that. Right. I'd gone to this, I'd been a rifle hunter as a kid. I'd, I'd shot 22s. I'd shot 273 or 270s, 243s, everything else in between and loved it. But I didn't ever have that deeply connected feeling. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like a spiritual kind of thing. Now, I don't know if that ever feels like a spiritual thing to people, but when I take an animal's life, I feel an elation of like proud that I was able to accomplish it. But there's also, it's met with the sadness of taking a life. And I think that's yeah. the soulful feeling that I'm talking about. That's the, the wrestle within yourself. So get on the bow kick and pursued bow, bow animal after bow animal after bow animal and had a lot of success. And I drew a rifle tag on an elk, a bull elk is actually any elk in Arizona. And oh, really? 
yeah, it was Annie Elk. So, you know, we were talking about uh, some goals that I had. And two years ago, really right around the time that COVID started, um, I just I just realized that things were going to be different from now on. I didn't know in what context, but when you see people literally beating each and this this goes back to Black Friday sales where you see people trampling each other, killing each other. Yeah, there's just a scarcity mindset within the human condition that that causes problems. Yeah, and when COVID started and I realized it was going to be a a lockdown type event, that was one of the goals that I set for myself was within two years at least on the front of meat let's be able to, to self rely on what I harvest in the field. So that's what I set out a goal to do. I wanted to be successful at that. Um, I have still have a little bit of the deer that I shot at your farm in the freezer. Um, I've got a Kentucky deer, I've got a, a Minnesota deer and I've got a little bit of last year's Kentucky deer as well. And then I go to Arizona and I'm kind of faced with this opportunity, uh, wonderful opportunity, but like, there was that same voice that gets jealous when you see somebody doing well, just because they busted their ass. It's like, yeah, but, and that's what it was. It was like the, yeah, but was, I was going to be hunting with a rifle. It was like, I'm hunting bull elk. Yeah. But with a rifle, you know, and I was diminishing this amazing thing before I even started. Like this is, this is weeks, months prior. Yeah. And as I got down to it, I looked at myself and I was like, You've been out to Arizona four times. You failed every single time that you've gone. Maybe this is just a natural regression so that you can begin the wheels of progression again uh, as a hunter. You know, step back. Maybe you're not good enough to say, I am just a bow hunter. And really, it's not even good enough to say that in a skill level. It's more, I'm more proud to say I am a hunter than to specify I'm a bow hunter or a rifle hunter or a trad bow. Cause that's where I yeah. think a lot of the problems in the world today started to stem was like, Hey, we're on the same side in and up until on the second amendment, let's say in and up until rocket launchers, you want a damn rocket launcher. And I don't have any reason or understanding as to why somebody yeah. would want that. So hell with you. And, yeah. and that's what we see in the hunting space quite a bit is, you know, it's hierarchy. It is. And, and listen, I'm not sitting here trying to compare, what I did on that elk to something like a Aaron Snyder shooting a mule deer at four yards. I'm not trying to say they're even in the same realm of comparability trad bow at four feet or four yards or whatever it was. And an elk at long range with a rifle, not the same thing, but I would challenge anybody to come up and take the shot. I shot, you know, yeah. like match it, like see if you can do what I did in, in, in that moment. And, and honestly, in the name of skill set acquisition, what man is more dangerous? The one who is extremely talented with one tool or very, very, very talented with a multitude of tools, yeah. you know, and, and there's an argument to be made in each direction. But like I told you, I would rather continue this path on if I draw a tag, that is what my mission is. And this, this sounds very militaristic, but it's, it's a way that I've kind of dealt with it and looked at the thing. Not all missions are for the expendables. You know, some missions are just, you know, data collection or whatever it may be. So the same thing, like if I draw a tag, that's a rifle tag, well, guess what? You have to master these elements. You have to master this animal and you have to master this rifle for that hunt. That does not beget the next hunt. I, I could hunt, 
Wyoming with a rifle on a Friday and maybe Colorado with a bow on Saturday and maybe Oklahoma with a trad bow on Sunday. Like there's no limitations on what you can or can't do so long as it's within the legal rights of what you're doing. And, and that's one thing that, that new hunters need to understand too. Oftentimes as much as the regulatory system for what weapon you can use, it can even classify to what animal you can take, you know, taking a, a, a mature buck as we'll talk about for you is a much different scenario than shooting a doe. Like in your field, yeah. you can pretty much go out and shoot a doe any day yeah. of the of the deer yeah. season. Now shooting a buck, that becomes maybe a once or twice a week situation, depending on, well, if you want to shoot a, a, a spike or a split two, you could probably shoot one of those every day, right? Just yeah. a young buck hanging around with the does. Let's classify that as a mature buck. Well, now that's a once or twice a week, maybe opportunity. And then to get oh, into what, that. yeah. And then what we're talking about for you, which would classify more as a trophy hunt, but let's say let's say that in a different way so that people don't just immediately think the wrong thing. A trophy type buck becomes a once a year type opportunity. You yeah. know, so let's let's just let's give some distinction right. between you and a guy that well, you know, I had this conversation with a guy too after we talked about this. Yeah. So Trophy hunters are usually visualized as the ultra wealthy asshole that drops 200 grand on a hunt, flown <laughs> yeah. in on his private, private helicopter, flown right up to the mountain, shoots the stone sheep, and then he's coming down two days later. Well, I talked to a stone guide, a stone, a stone sheep guide, and he asked me a question. He said, what if this guy that you automatically posterize as he just paid $200,000 to go up there and chip shot this thing? What if that guy loves hunting more than you or I more than more than, and he's devoted his entire childhood up to his twenties to being in the field 200 days a year. I'm just painting an extreme picture here. Like he is, he's Steve Irwin of the hunting world, like loves animals, but he started a business and it became a multi-billion dollar business. He became a family man, had children. His life is no longer structured around hunting, but he wants the highest of the high. And he gets 48 hours a year to do it. Yeah. So does that $200,000 seem as extreme to a guy, one that can afford it two that has maybe earned it, but three, if that story is told versus, yeah, this guy's just a billionaire. He inherited a silver spoon when he was born and he goes out and shoots 50 animals a year. Does that change the context of what a trophy hunter is? And then I throw you into the mix who very blue collar guy, farmer in Tennessee who is bypassing meat in the freezer every single day because it's there every single day. There's no reward type feeling to that. You're passing on young bucks multiple times a week. You're probably passing on mature bucks a few times a week. And you're really trading all of that success story for the event to say, I picked a buck based on evidence that I saw in the field, whether it be a trail camera, whether it be binoculars from the side of the road and you see this thing and you decide, that's the buck I'm going to hunt this season. And what a lot of people don't realize for a guy like you, the hunt is a year round process. You're on those yeah. grounds all year long. So again, to go back to that idea of it takes all kinds, let's talk about trophy hunting a little bit because I too have had that same emotion when I see certain things. Um, well, he only did that in a high fence or he did that because of this, or he did that because of this. And it's really all of those questions that I don't want to ask the alternative to if you were standing right there 
and that 400 inch elk is sitting right 50 yards away, are you going to pass that up and say, I'll take that raghorn over there? Well, don't get yeah. so high on your horse there, Brandon, no. because dude, that's, you're, that's you're that, speaking that, my language. Well, yeah, and dude, it's, it's things that you prompted since we talked that made me think these things. And it's one of those things that I was very, very fortunate to talk to another guy who guides 60, 80, $100,000 hunts routinely. And he's yeah. telling me there's a lot more guys like you that have saved for 10 or 12 or 15 years to go on a once in a lifetime type hunt. They've bypassed other hunts to, to go on these type of hunts. Um, I have a new respect for that because I think it's, it's a delayed gratification for sure. Well, that's what, uh, man, it's funny. And it's actually good timing. Uh, cause I've just been, I had just talked the other day with a buddy about trophy hunting. I love it when somebody calls me a trophy hunter. Like that's like the best compliment. Is that a recognition that you only kill big bucks? To me, it is. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a trophy hunter. Come look in my living room right here. There's four trophies on the wall. Um, like, I love that because, and and I've actually, I I made a a funny kind of thing with uh, Peta. All right, Peta, they they want to blast trophy hunting. They love to blast trophy hunting. Which Peta, a lot of them pretty much a bunch of dumbasses when they like you know now they're like saying the bullpen needs to be called the arm barn or something um but uh it's only whatever their new dumb thing is i guess it works because i'm talking it's about all it. distractionary it is but uh i actually would argue that if Peta Peta's targeting the wrong people if they really wanted to hurt hunting they'd go after the meat eaters not the trophy hunters. Yeah. I kill a hell of a lot less deer in a year's time than a guy that's strictly in it for the meat. I've got deer meat in my freezer still. And I, we have cattle, you know, I probably, we get a cow processed every year. I love beef. Now I say that, say I, I love being called a trophy hunter because a trophy hunter holds a different tone or a different meaning to me than what it does when these people are like, he's just a damn trophy hunter. Like, I think a lot of people have this idea that as a trophy hunter, I'm going to shoot a big buck and then I'm going to go out there and saw his antlers off, chunk them in the truck and drive off and leave the rot, like the corpse and everything out there. I am a trophy hunter that, and that doesn't mean I don't like to eat the meat. Like I, to me, I'm appreciating that deer much more than somebody else because when I shoot that deer and he goes down and I get, I am going to get him mounted. Like I don't even really want to shoot a buck that I'm not going to like put on my wall. Like that's kind of my going into it. Um, but the meat goes in my freezer. And so then I'm thinking about that deer a lot. Like when I eat the meat, you know, it always brings me back. Like when I'm eating the meat, I'll even tell my kids, I'm like, this is that buck from so-and-so. Like this sure. is the buck I shot that time. Like I, I even know like what the meat came, which deer the meat's from. I'm like, yeah, this, like, you know, Levi, this is the buck you were with me uh, with mm-hmm. and like all these things. And, and then when I come in my living room, you know, it like, oh, it just makes some guys sick about the mounts and the stuff. And, and I come in here and I see it and it like immediately can take me back to that moment. And, and like you said, the year round thing, that was, that was an epiphany 
for me with deer hunting growing up i killed my first deer when i was nine yep. um i'm 30 so what's that 21 years i've been deer hunting and i really got serious about it probably i would hunt just because that was kind of the thing we were expected to do mm-hmm. and uh, never really took it that seriously and now back up about 10 years ago is when i really kind of shifted gears on deer hunting hard and um i started doing it year round now i don't mean i'm going out there with a rifle year round i'm I'm obviously i mean as you know i'm i have a pretty strict code of ethics i like to i walk a pretty firm line so like i'm certainly not doing illegal things but i do recon all year like i'm I'm running cameras, I'm scouting, I'm looking for signs, looking for sheds. I mean, and when I took my hunting from a, this is just a couple of months out of the year kind of thing to this is a full year thing, they didn't made it a whole new ball game. And I think I have a chip on my shoulder at times because I've heard people, I mean, I'm in Tennessee, I hunt tree stands primarily that's how most of us hunt around here you ain't sure. spotting and stalking a whitetail like i don't care how good somebody thinks they are not here yeah not here yeah no. like on a flat ground i don't care how damn good they think they are like if yeah. they want to talk shit come on out and i'll let you go try to spot and stalk a mature buck like i would pay money to see some guy that thinks he's a hard-ass spot and stalk and i ain't i don't want to hear somebody be like Oh man, I could spot and stalk like a young one. No, I'm talking, I mean, I got a buck in here that's seven and a half years old. Let's see you spot and stalk that guy. (laughs) But so I carry a chip on my shoulder because I put a lot of time into it. And I've heard people shit on like tree stand hunting. And there is this old stigma of the guy that goes and gets a tree stand, goes out, just tosses it up on a tree and he don't come back again until the winter. He climbs up in there and he shoots the first thing he sees. Okay. Like, honestly, the guy is still a hunter. I mean, you can say what you want to say. The guy's doing the, he's, he's out there hunting. He's doing, killing the animal. But like, I know guys, and I guess this would kind of get back to the, hierarchy we were talking about of bows and rifles Mm -hmm. i'll i bow hunt and i rifle hunt like i if i have a buck i'm targeting i'm pretty much going to be rifle hunting like i'm i am a guy as a glorified trophy hunter i want the best chance to kill that deer Mm -hmm. for me that is a rifle like i i'm not so prideful that i have to take a bow like i I've, I've had buddies that are like, man, why don't you just try to go only with a bow? And I said, I like killing big bucks too much to only go with a bow. Like I've sat in a tree stand before with a bow and watched actually the 10 point that I killed a few years ago. I watched him at a hundred yards with my bow. And I was like, what the hell, man? Like if yeah. I had my rifle, he'd be on the ground. <laughs> well, and that's, a, you know, that's something that is really interesting that a lot of these these purists want to talk about really and truly uh, if you want to get down to the brass tacks of it, traditional archery in this day and age is a luxury. Yeah. It's actually a luxury decision. One and, and, and Aaron Snyder is somebody that I look to a lot because he has an honest take on things. He was like, 
you know, if I've got four days in the field a year, I'm absolutely bringing out the cheater stick. You know, that's what he calls yeah. the rifle. But he's he's fortunate enough. He's out either guiding or in the field 100, if not 200 days a year. So the, the amount of opportunities, the amount of reps that he gets is far different than, than somebody else that, because I mean, I know guys right now, guys in this town that get to hunt two weekends a year, like that's it. Yeah. Like, so there are, there are things that should be personally chosen and personally felt. I think, um, yeah. I have no right. I mean, I know that there are guys and, and I just observation around, around certain people in camps and things like that, where you have the types of guys that come in and they're fully immersed in the camp. They tell the stories of their deer. They're they're excited when everybody comes in with a deer. And it's like, that's kind of the guys that I resonate with. They want the entire experience and the, and the process of it. There's some guys, big personality types, uh, influencer types that will sit in the corner by themselves on their phone all day long. They're there for one reason. They're not there to make friends. They're not there to talk about their deer. If you want to see their deer, their, their elk or their mule deer, look online. It's all there. You know, yeah. but they're, they're only there to kill. And that's created different feelings within me, different emotion at time, because it's like you, you almost begin to dislike one or the other based on what you are. And that's not well, true. You I mean. and I both are story driven individuals. For like sure. That, that's, and I, I apologize for jumping in, but like, that's makes me think about, um, around here in the South. And then you mean y'all probably, you probably see it in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, during deer season, everybody has a rifle in their truck mm-hmm. and they ride around and I mean, and shoot a deer. Um, even if it's their own property, like, and I, I was guilty growing up. I'd always have a rifle in my truck. We got a lot of farms. I'd pull in a farm, look for deer and I'd pull yep. in there. If I had seen a big buck. I'd have shot him. Luckily, the, the odds never were in my favor with that. And I say luckily, because what a boring ass story. Like right. all of my bucks on the wall, they have a pretty cool story to me. Like mm-hmm. I could take it back and like, be like, you know, man, I hunted this buck for three years. I was after this deer missed him the year before. Like it's not like some story that's passionate to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I couldn't imagine if I had a buck on the wall and somebody was like, so when'd you get that one? Well, I was driving around one Monday morning yeah. and I pulled in the field and there he was and I shot him. Like what a boring story. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, well, I think so it's I, I grew up, I grew up reading the Hardy boys and I grew up reading uh, Hemingway and, and some of the Boone and Crockett tales and, and that kind of deal. Um, Hugh Glass, you know, like here in these front, and I, I think that is a regional thing specifically as well, because it is a part of the state history. Yeah. Like not, not Hemingway, but like those type of frontiersman stories, but absolutely. I mean, I think I told you this, I'd had those four failures in Arizona and, and props to Chino and his, and his boys for like really just wanting to help me educate myself on Western hunting. If, if it wasn't for Chino, dude, it was one of those things that, I looked at Western hunting as one, something that the rich did and two, something that was just out of reach from anything I would ever be able to do. I'm right there with you. And and both of those things, there's aspects of cost. There's aspects of travel. There's, there's a lot of barriers to entry, but certainly anyone in America with, with a little bit of expendable income can find a way to get there. May not be every year. And even for me, um, man, it it was a lot like those four trips out there. I put between 60 and 80 miles on my boots every single time I was out there in failure. 
Um, yeah. I'd always flown out there and, you know, something inside of me. And again, you know, I think, there, I think there's been changes occurring in me with the, the last couple of years, the way I want to live my life, the way that I want to look at the world around me. And I, I was looking at so many aspects of my life as this is the easy way to do it. This is the easy way out. And, and I think a lot of people get there, but they're not really willing to say it. And I think that was me. Like I was flying into camp. I was, you know, picking up some weed in, in Vegas and having a good time and then driving. Like there was nothing, there was nothing like there was no commitment on, like I wasn't fully immersed in it. I was immersed yeah. in the process. I was committed to getting a successful deer or a successful elk, but it was like, it was pretty easy, you know, to keep, to move on. If failure was the outcome, yeah. I drive it this year. I, dr- I decided to drive it. <clears throat> as much as anything. And I wanted to make a side point on this. So I drove the first day I drove 21, 22 hours and I was on the road for 21. And, uh, the next day or the, the first day back, well, the second day I drove about four and a half hours. Uh, it's about 26 hours of driving each way you go. And, uh, nevertheless, 52 hours. And that really struck me because it's like, man, that's, I mean, it wasn't like this planned out thing, but it was just coincidence that there's 52 weeks in a year and you start yeah. to see some of the hours you're invested every minute because it's like, you're excited about something or, you know, man, I want to get here in 50 miles. So you're like hyper alert, you're looking around and then you find those in between hours where it's just like, just want to get through them. And it started to emulate a year so much. Like you think about the weeks or the months where you're excited about things and seems like time just flies by then you get yeah. into these lulls where nothing's going right you know i had the tire blow out in oklahoma and that kind of thing but it just it just took on a bigger kind of feeling for me and then but i was serious about it like i was committed to to being successful and the any elk was kind of like the ace in the pocket like i'm going to hunt hard as you know if it comes down to last day be it calf, be it cow, be it bull. Like I'm going home with meat because of that prior promise to myself. So the drive was also, Hey, I've got coolers in the back. I've got a commitment. Dude, I'm driving a truck with 340 something thousand miles. And every three hours, the powertrain control module kicks into like a limp mode, turn it off for 10 minutes and start it back over. So it resets the PCM. Otherwise I can go 55 miles an hour and it, and it knocks about every, every third revolution. So it just, it just the terrible, terrible thing, but that's part of the story for me now, because dude, I am that truck. And if, and I've never, yeah. and I've never told that really to many people, but like I decided a while ago, dude, I'm just a broken down palace of a former athletic body. I mean, I can still do a lot of things and I can still give a lot of effort, but man, I can remember times when I could run forever or I could lift extremely heavy weights and I'm just not that man anymore. And it's very easy for me to have creature comforts that make me forget that man exists, but you drive a truck that looks pretty good for what it is, (laughs) but you get under the hood and it's got scars and bruises and it's been beat to death, but that's me, you know? And, and I'd actually told myself, if I made it out there or I failed, like that truck was going to be a part of this story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. coming back, um, you know, I, I was able to shoot the bull. We, we got down in the, the bowl. It was, it literally died 
just a couple hundred yards from where the bull I packed out last year was. And that was such a brutal experience. Like first time full baptism, deep water. Um, it's not, it's not what you expect. It's not what you see on social media. I mean, it, it is a real task to get one of those things cut up and packed out. And dude, this is with, with a team of guys that are there to help you, you know, it's, it's a real endeavor. So all the hats off in the world to the guys that do this deep back country by themselves or, you know, to the nth degree, anybody puts an elk on the ground, you got my respect. And, uh, so get it packed up, get it loaded. That was probably one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. And I also told you when I had that moment of success, when I, when I heard the words dumped him, you know, meaning I had had a successful shot on this elk and he died basically where he was. Um, man, I felt literally, I probably felt more than any bow kill I've ever felt because this is a culmination of hundreds of miles and hours and money and hurt feelings at home and things like that. You know, I mean, all of those things, I mean, I've been out there on holidays. I've been out there and and listen, I'm not trying to make this more, more than it is like, this is my life. I've spent five weeks chasing these animals out in Arizona with people that said, we think you can do this. Come let us show you how. And that was Chino at Winterstrong. Like he, he told me this is a realistic possibility. If you're willing to commit to it, lose some weight, get in better shape, come out here and figure it out. And it took me multiple failures before I had that yeah. moment. And would I have felt more if I'd have, if I'd have crept in and shot that thing at 40 yards with the bow, I probably, I can tell you right now where he was and the conditions around him, as far as the cactus and the side healing. I mean, he, he died at an unbelievable angle and it was so steep. He was head down the mountain that when we just held his antlers to kind of pivot him to even try to begin to get a photo of him, he just started sliding down the mountain further. So it was yeah. one of these deals, like the probability of my skill set to get that done with a bow at that point of the year, late season at that elevation on that spot. Absolutely not. So what do you do? You take a step back and you figure out how to be successful with a rifle. Yeah. And then you can, then if it ever gets tired, like, man, I've killed 10 bulls with a rifle. I want to learn to do it with a compound or whatever. Um, this is not where they're running to you. This is not where you're calling them in. These things yeah. want to live through the winter. They are bedded up deep, high altitude in the, in the trees. So it's just a different thing. And, um, I think that's a really good point to kind of s- supplement the conversation we're having of, of guys that are jumping into this field and saying, I am just a bow hunter. or I am just this type of hunter. Man, you started with a rifle from a truck. I started with a rifle from a truck. Most every hunter I know got field experience. I'm not saying it was good field experience, but but experience in the field is better than none at all. So yeah. you gain a, a lot of perspective on what animals do, how they move, you know, how you can shoot them, how you shouldn't shoot them, like the angles of, of in the the mathematics of hunting, I should say, yeah. or the science of hunting. And you go out in the field with a bow just right off the bat, you're you're robbing yourself of some of the joys that can make you a lifelong hunter because I know guys, yeah. I, I had conversations with guys that are three, four years in, they've had no success whatsoever, 
and they just don't want to do it anymore. So why yeah. not? I mean, dude, that's why at Pee Wee, they got a six foot goal. You know, you start people out at a level that they can find success. And I'm not saying go out here and shoot a, you know, a 350 bull. I just got very, very lucky. We were hunting a much, much smaller bull and just presented that that bull never gave us a shot. And this bull was basically begging for us to shoot him. It, yeah. it was, it was not an antler decision. It was just a, a moment of presentation. That's actually how a lot of my deer have been this year. Well, actually, every single success I've had this year has been a moment of presentation. The deer I shot in Minnesota, the the big one, I told you I'm a, I'm a sucker for just a traditional typical eight point. And that's what walked out first. And I was getting myself prepared to shoot this buck. The bigger buck, which happened to be an 11 point walks out behind him. They get themselves in such a configuration that if I had tried to shoot the eight point, I 100% could have killed him. I trust myself at that shot at that distance. I mean, I shoot my phone a hundred times a day, like, or not a hundred, but you know, I shoot it like that constantly. Yeah. It was not the best shot between the two that were presented. I took the most ethical shot that I could take on the deer that I wanted. And, and it just worked out. And that's the way this was on the elk. It's the way it was in Kentucky. I had two much, much bigger bucks in Kentucky underneath me that day. This deer just presented a shot that was, that was ethical. It was, you know, it was there and it, and it filled the equation of what I was looking for. Am I sitting here to kill this giant or am I sitting here to have an awesome experience to shoot this buck? And like I told you, I reached out and touched that one. Like that was a, that was a long shot on that Kentucky buck um, from a tree stand. So I got to test my skill in a different way. And that's what I'm looking for is, you know, not to, not so I can call you and tell you, Hey man, I think that was probably down the line of the story, but nevertheless, it becomes a part of the story when you push yourself or test your range or just push yourself in different directions. And like I said, the next hunt doesn't have to be dependent upon the the hunt prior. So that's kind of where I'm at with everything is, I'm looking for the experience. I'm looking, you know, it's not like I'm trying to manifest the story, but the story always comes. If you, if you're really pushing for something worthwhile and a big buck or a big bull is a very worthwhile endeavor, you're not going to sit in the woods for 10 days looking for a buck and not have a story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, well, and, and on all that, man, like the, I think it's good to have a foundation. And uh, I would even say, I mean, a lot of people probably forgot that Joe Rogan started with a rifle. For sure. Like uh, like when he went with Steve Ranella, he was hunting with a rifle. Steven Ranella hunts with a rifle primarily. He'll even tell you, like he doesn't, he prefers to hunt with a rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, and there's, there's a lot of things, like there's several things that I'd say in that. Um, I'm not saying you have to start with a rifle. But just like you said, there's guys that see the big celebrity guys hunting with bows. So they're like, well, I'm, I'm a puss if I go with a rifle. Uh, so I got to go with a bow because that's what Rogan does. That's what uh, so-and-so, he, Jocko, they hunt with bows. So I got to go with a bow. And um, they go with a bow. And like I said, multiple lack of success um, for maybe even years. Mm-hmm. and that the the bite of hunting will have a hard time taking those guys yep. not all of them there's some that'll it'll keep them fired up enough they'll keep going 
But man, you give one of those guys a rifle. And I don't mean to make this like a, like I'm not meaning this to be like a pro rifle, pro bow thing. But like from a beginner standpoint, man, give them a rifle and and don't be picky. Like that's yeah. one of the things I'd say. And I mean, and everybody heard me earlier. I'm a, I am a trophy hunter mentality guy. When my son Levi or my daughter, if she wants to hunt, when they get old enough, they're going to start with a rifle and they can shoot whatever the hell they want to shoot. Like I'll be pumped with whatever they shoot. When I started, I killed my first buck. I was nine. And, uh, now we were hunting, we had box stands, my dad and them had built. And, um, man, they started, my dad, I told you, he thought he still thinks bow hunting is like the most dumbass thing a person could do. <laughs> like he, he would tell somebody that is so there stupid. There are many days that I have thought it's the dumbest thing I could do. <laughs> Dude, that, like he, he thinks it's so dumb. When I bought my first bow, he was like, that is stupid. Um, going to wound deer, like bow hunting is dumb. I mean, he, you could never convince him otherwise. He thinks it's dumb as hell. And, um, so like I've gone and Hey, I get it. I have wounded two deer. There's two deer. I never recovered, uh, shot a buck. Pretty sure he made it, hit him in that brisket lower part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I didn't, I shot a doe in the shoulder and, uh, arrow broke off. I don't know that if she made it or not, I never found her. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, and I get the adrenaline. People are like, man, but the adrenaline of bow hunting, I have drawn on them deer, shot them. It is a hell of an adrenaline. But I can tell you what's also another level of adrenaline is hunting a big-ass buck. And I don't care if you're looking at him through a peep sight or you're looking at him through a scope. My heart is pounding. Like, that's that's one of my things that I've told people. Like, when shooting big deer loses its luster for me, then I'll become only a bow hunter. Like, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you had after your cryptorphid buck. Like, you know, that was that's a that's a monumental once in a lifetime, once in a probably multiple lifetime type buck for anyone. I mean, it's just it's a phenomenal deer, and you went a little bit through that hangover spell with that, right? So, yeah, man. You know, if you listen to a podcast two years ago, not saying that you made one, and this is what I want people to to understand is like, you know, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but if you have a feel, like I said, I was a bow hunter. I I, I said that openly and and like a pride of a, you know badge of pride type thing. When really, um, now I look at that, and and for me, I'm not saying for anyone else. I'm speaking only in terms of myself. I look back, and that might have been an overstep relative to my capabilities. Now you put me in a tree stand. I certainly can kill deer all day long. I trust myself in that situation to then say, okay, this tree stand experience or this ground blind experience will now transfer to the West on mule deer or on elk. Um, that's just not, that's just not a realistic type statement. So why not follow the same footsteps that I did here as a young boy out West, begin with a rifle, gain confidence, get over those, not not get over necessarily, but feel those emotions again, yeah. and remember that an animal is an animal is an animal. Like if you're you're stopping a heartbeat with whatever tool you use, yeah, and dude. I can tell you, um, there was a sense of that heartbeat on on me Friday night. I killed on Saturday night. Saw that bull on Friday night, 
and dude, I could not pick up the scope. Like I told you, I was like, it was, it was a long, long way at Friday night, but I was just looking at this bull and dude, I could still tell how big he was, you know? Yeah. And, uh, my heart was like, I was breathing out of my nose. Like I was trying to nasal breathe and it was like, I could hear my heartbeat coming through my nasal <laughs> breath. Like it was like, <laughs> it was coming yeah. out in like cadence. Um, but the next day, I think I told you this too, I was watching this video and, and like when you're scouting, there's a ton of downtime. I mean, tons yeah. of downtime. And we've been looking at this same facing for hours this day, like, like probably eight to 10 hours at this point, we've been scoping this facing with binos and stuff. So, I had a momentary point of signal and ended up just watching this uh, sniper video. And this guy was talking about, you know, good leaves room for excuses and great gets it done. And he was talking about that. And you translate that to the battlefield. Good gets you killed and great kills them. You know, it's kind of one yeah. of those deals. And he was like, what kind of man are you? The one that talks about it, makes excuses or gets it done. And then the damn screen goes black and it's like a <laughs> mirror on my face. And literally two minutes later, we're like, Hey, we got this bull, like let's get to work. So that was kind of like fresh in my mind. And yeah. that's, and that was a good centering kind of, kind of thing to feel because dude, I have a hundred excuses from the four trips of failure. I have, I have excuse after excuse after excuse. And the reality of it is I didn't get it done. And probably because of my lack of experience and lack of understanding, because these animals are different than whitetail. Whitetail yeah. have a characteristics and, and personalities all their own elk. Have, I mean, you think about a, uh, an elk, I mean, that thing pretty much runs the place. I mean, it's 800 pounds. It doesn't have to have the same considerations for predator as a 150 pound whitetail does, you know, it's just yeah. a different kind of thing. So they have different behaviors and I got to watch a lot of elk this time. I got to be around them a little bit more. So dude, I think the, the rifle just gave me a distance and a comfort that I didn't quite feel I ever had out West, but I do now. And I'm not saying it's because only because I was successful, but it does root back to the fact that, I, okay, now I have the belief that I can do this. What are yeah. the steps to close from using a rifle to this? And and maybe it's, you know, rifle hearts are hard. Rifle hunts are harder to come by out West, but typically it's like, I now know that it's possible. So what did I learn on this that I can apply forward? And that's what yeah. I'm just, I, I, I don't look at myself any longer as I'm a hunter till the day I die. Like the story is not over hunt by hunt by hunt. And I think that's one of yeah. the other things that the industry has kind of taught people is like, you know, all oh, big rutcation, it's rutcation time, you know, like it's, and it's so, it's just so overplayed and overworked to where, people are mimicking and doing these things without ever thinking of like, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this really what I should be doing? Does this line up yeah. with, with who I am and what I feel? No hate against it. I mean, some of those guys may be loving what they're doing and more power to them, but I don't want to be, a. I would always challenge somebody to understand that what I say and what I feel is mine, you know? Yeah. And, and if something that I say or do inspires you, if it doesn't all the way gel with what you feel, then you've got to figure out that difference. Like what, what feels off about what I'm saying or doing or whatever, but it make it your own. Um, I certainly have a ton of respect for Cam Haynes. I have a ton of respect for the John Dudleys of the world, like that type. That's, they are doing amazing things. And Cam has cut his teeth for 25, 30 years, writing articles, writing books, killing big bulls. 
And and now I think what we're seeing is the the momentary, like, okay, we're recognizing his shine and he can do whatever he wants. He can hunt yeah. San Carlos, he can hunt big bulls. The problem for me becomes, and I and I have to be very careful of it too, because when you have people that that follow you or or look to you and you have some semblance of an audience, it's very easy to get lulled into I'm this or that. I'm yeah. a I am a beginning Western hunter. I am a, you know, reinvigorated Eastern hunter, whitetail hunter, turkey hunter. And that's what I am. <clears throat> I'm not an expert. <clears throat> I'm not in the field at the level that you are every day of the year, you know, like observing your own farm, keeping up with the animals and stuff like that. But I am an excited, avid outdoorsman. And I'm just trying yeah. to, and, and whatever that means today, hopefully evolves into something better tomorrow. You know, that's, that's the way I'm yeah. trying to live with it right now. Well, that's, I mean, like you said earlier, I, I'm just a hunter. Yeah. Like, I, and, you know, and then when you get to that, like, weird thing where, um, I think I had told you this the other day, these, some of the guys that beat their chest and be like, man, I'm only a bow hunter. And they think they're better. I know there's old guys out here. I'm sure you got them in Kentucky as well. There's old dudes out here that have never touched a bow only used a rifle and i guarantee you they are probably some of the baddest hunters there are because oh, they yeah. just live and breathe it they, they like live and breathe it and um i would put them up against any guy that says well i'm just a bow hunter and um and if you if you were gonna truly go like through this crazy hierarchy um i saw a meme i think yesterday and it was like talking about the bow hunters bashing crossbow hunters. Yeah. And it was like these bow hunt compound guys want to shit on the crossbow hunters when they have $2,000 bows with like the most high tech shit all over them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, you know, I mean, and then you get to the trad guys. Well, hell, there's some crazy dudes using spears. You know, yeah. there's like fucking spears. Uh, and then there's and, Corey Hawks, guys that yeah. are making their own bows, yeah. their own arrows, their yeah. own Yeah, and slingshots that'll kill. He'll yeah. even make a slingshot that'll kill. Corey is in a league of his own. Yeah. Uh, he's a bad man. But, uh, man, it's just, it does a disservice, I think, to new guy, new faces uh, trying yeah. to get in because, like you said, they – they're almost ashamed if they bow hunt or rifle hunt. Yep. And dude, I feel no shame when I take a deer with a rifle. I love guns. Like <laughs> if I, if somebody said you can only have bows or guns for the rest of your life, I would take all the guns ever. Like I, I, and I enjoy shooting my bow. I don't want people to think I don't like, I enjoy shooting archery a lot. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I don't want people to think I'm shitty. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but you saw me at winter strong. I mean, I can shoot a bow pretty well. Like, yeah. um, but guns, I love shit that blows up and explosive stuff. And so, <laughs> I mean, a gun, man, I'm literally getting to shoot in a little mini explosive out. And, um, so I love guns and, uh, I would never feel shame for shooting a deer that I have. And, and that's, you know, like you said, I could kill a deer every hunt um, if I went. That's if I was strictly a meat eater. I don't know. Like I could see where if I did not hunt the types of deer I do, rifle hunting would probably lose its luster a little bit to sure. me. 
just because of the deer. Well, and like we talked about, after I killed that cryptorchid buck, um, I was kind of like, well, what now? Like, um, he's, you know, green scored like 191 inches. Uh, and the fact that he's a cryptorchid, I've never even seen one of those before him. Yep. I mean, I didn't Google what he was. And, uh, so it was a crazy rare deer and, and I didn't even have like much fire in my belly for deer hunting, like going into the next year. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, I'd get pictures of bucks and I mean, it might be a 150, like a good deer. And yeah. I'd be like, eh, you know, it wouldn't even really fire me up. <laughs> and like my, one of my good buddies, my buddy Brent, he'd be like, dude, that's a hell of a deer. Like I'd show him these pictures and I'd be like, ah, man, I'll probably let them go this year. And he'd be like, dude, that any, you, are you on crack? He's like, anybody would shoot this deer. And I'm like, ah, man, I don't know. And so I had kind of lost that. And then actually taking my son with me at the time, he was just two. Um, he was about to turn three and I just took him. It was like, man, it might've been the last day of the season or it something. Was after you know, I'd been down there. It was because yeah. you had, I'd you had feel- been gone just a few days, yeah. I think. Um, and I took Levi, I think it was the last day we could shoot a buck and it was snow on the ground. I've always wanted to kill a deer in the snow. There was snow on the ground. I went with like an hour left of time because I didn't want to try to make my two year old son have to sit out there for a long time. And a buck comes out and he was right at about 140 inch buck. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd have shot him um, normally. Like, I, I think I even told you that, like, I probably would not have shot this buck. Mm-hmm. But Levi was with me, and he was pumped up, and I was like, damn, I'm about to get to kill a deer with my son with me. And so I shot it, and Levi was pumped. He peed in his pants. He was so excited. <laughs> I, I couldn't remember if it was you or him that pissed their pants. I couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he peed in his pants, and uh, but it was – it, it like reminded me of, uh, it, it brought me back, I guess, to reality of, mm. uh, what I'm doing. Like, and I'm still, I still pursue big bucks. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm hunting. And, uh, you know, I'll shoot some does because just to ensure I have some meat and try to somewhat balance the ratio. We have so many does out here, but, um, man, it, Hunting is fun. Like, I don't want people to think that, that like, I feel like people don't say that a lot because they're afraid to say it, but hunting is fun. Like I have fun whitetail hunting, like doing it year round, man, I enjoy it. It's fun. If it wasn't fun, I don't think I would do it. And, uh, I have fun doing it. When I kill the deer, there is always remorse. Like when I say it's fun, the kill you have that layer of remorse because you just took the life of an animal. But when I kill one of these spet like big bucks I've been after, my remorse comes from, obviously I just killed an, a, an animal Two, the journey has ended. Like mm-hmm. most of the bucks that I've killed, I've hunted for longer than like one season. Like I've been after them deer for two, the cryptorchid, I hunted him for three years. So like, I had actually figured I was never going to kill that buck. Like I was like, I'm not going to kill this deer. And, um, when he came out and I killed him, I mean, it was like all sorts of emotions with that deer. Cause it's sure. like, man, you know, like I've been after this deer. And, um, 
But, man, there's just, there's no, I guess what I want to reiterate, there's no shame. Sorry, that darn thing. I keep getting oh, emails. Fine. I don't know if you can hear it. Busy um, man, son. Busy man. <laughs> but there's, there's no shame in going with a rifle. And I, be a hunter. I, I'll go with a bow usually early season. Then it, and then if I get a target buck, I'm going with a rifle. And then if I kill my target buck, I'll get the bow back out. Yeah. Like I don't claim to be just a bow hunter. I don't claim to be just a rifle hunter. I am just a guy that loves to hunt. I'm a hunter. And that's the mentality I wish more people would get. And one of the things I think that hurts us um, is the good and bad side of the social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, me and you are talking right now as a product of social media. That's one of the good things we met through social media. Like it's a positive to it, but there's guys, I think where I have an issue with it. If a dude truly was like, I want to be a bow hunter. And I just like at my core, I want to be primal bow hunter. And they do it from that aspect, man. Hell yeah. Like right on. But if a guy is like, I want to hunt with a bow, so I and they would never directly say this to themselves, but I would challenge these people to look at themselves and say, am I going with a bow so that I can kill a deer with a bow and then post a picture of this deer that I killed with a bow? Well, that's just a different variation of the question I had to ask myself. Like, why am I feeling this pressure? Uh, and then also on the other side of that, does it feel more rewarding to post it as a, as a bow kill or as a rifle kill. And I think, you know, just like anything, there's a certain, uh, stigma about those things. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I I think as a, as a cautionary tale, know that if you feel that, or if you question that it's a very real, it's, it's a common thing. I would believe in the, in this modern age is to feel drawn to things without necessarily knowing why. So that's why I asked myself, that's why I challenge myself to understand why do I feel this way? Like, why do I feel an uncommon amount of pressure? To, and, and I'm speaking from last season. Like, why do I feel like I have to be successful? You know, part of the the joy of hunting for me has been within the failures, you know, yeah. and I don't mean to sound, you know, like a Hallmark card about that, but like the true story is if you hunt long enough and you don't experience failure, I don't know if you're actually hunting, if you're, or if yeah. you're just kind of doing what you're saying, which is just, sitting in a honey hole until something walks out and killing it. And I mean, that happens out West too. It happens. It happens in every scenario, but um, I guess that's a good point to ask or or make this quick pivot to if somebody's new into hunting, I would recommend one that they understand their why, like, why am I actually doing this? Why am I picking this up? Is it, is it answering a question or is it filling a void that you somehow feel with inside you. I think those are two different ends. Like, uh, yeah. it, it, you know, kind of expanding yourself because you're good at everything else and you want more. That's one kind of mentality about it versus the other is like, I'm not enough, but if I do this well, then I will be, that's a totally different thing. So I would try to encourage people to understand their why I would tell people to, to go deep dive into YouTube uh, and like, look at, um, you know, what do you call them? Like you can just look at a few topics like self hunting or, you know, public land hunters, or there's, there's a lot of people on YouTube and I don't want to push one over the other, but yeah. there's a lot of good people out there 
that are doing hunting in a very, very different way than what you see routinely on, on the big media pages. Um, I also had this conversation and, and it really, you know, I'm not trying to defend anyone, but since we've talked about trophy hunting, just a real quick tidbit on poaching. I think the industry is as much to blame for some of these guys getting into trouble as they are themselves. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that anyone at any company makes somebody do something illegal and I'm not excusing anything illegal. I can tell you I've been in a situation where I looked at a mule deer standing behind a mark, which was just a big rock. And it was like anything on the other side of that rock, you cannot shoot. And this, this mule deer standing at 62, 63 yards from me, just looking at me like he knows he's safe, you know? (laughs) So I can understand the thought process of a person like, man, if I just shoot him and pull him. And again, I'm saying this as a human being, I'm not saying this as, as me in general, or, or yeah. specifically I'm saying in general, I can understand that thought. It's just a stupid rock. Like there's not a fence yeah. there. There's not a nothing. There's just a rock. So, but guys get in trouble every year for poaching. And I think a lot of that stems from, Hey, I mean, there's contracts out there for some of these people. We need an animal a month. We need an yeah. animal, you know, we need three elk this season, or we need this and this and this. And it's like, what are you saying to the average guy that's buying your product? Are you saying that if you don't do these things, you're not successful? Or if you only kill the biggest animals, you're successful? I think we could we could really benefit from a redraft of the way yeah. the stories are told and the demands are put on these people. Because it's awesome to see some of these guys I mentioned like cam or Dudley or somebody like that. I love seeing them successful. I love seeing the caliber of animals they shoot because they, they get to shoot amazing animals because they're hunting amazing places. And they've put the time in to get, and again, both of those two guys I named right there, the service that they've done the industry through books, articles, YouTube videos and whatnot is, is second to none. Um, yeah. are they the perfect examples? I don't know if they are, if they aren't, but they've, they've influenced me in ways. I'll say that. Um, but nevertheless, I would hate to be in that position at some level. Wouldn't hate it at yeah. all levels. I would love to get to hunt those places and hunt those animals, but to know that, man, this failure is more than just not being successful on the hunt. If I don't get an animal, you know what yeah. I mean? And I think that drives a lot of, some of the ugly within the industry is that that yeah. pressure from these companies. Yeah, I, I agree, man. And I, that's one thing like, you know, when I say I'm a trophy hunter, I don't want people thinking that I'm saying that you got to be a trophy hunter. Sure. I'm in a position where I can be that way. Um, I've, I hunt, I mean, I hunt 100% private land. Like I, I own pretty much everything I hunt. And, um, so I'm in a position where I can let deer walk and let them grow. Now there's always that risk that my neighbor's going to shoot it. Cause that's the old saying. It's like, if I let that deer go, my neighbor's going to shoot it. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, but if you shoot it, he's for sure going to be dead. So don't shoot him. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not telling people, like you said, my, I get to hunt a lot because I farm and our season wraps up and I'll hunt in the mornings before I go hop on a track or do something else. So like I have the time and the places to do that. Now a guy that might be listening that gets 
three days to go hunt, man, shoot whatever your heart desires. Like if you want to fill your freezer, shoot the first thing that comes out. Like I'm not going to ever judge somebody on what they shoot. I used to, before I actually thought about it, you know, used to, I'd see somebody shoot a little buck and I'd be like, ah, damn, man, why would you not let that thing walk? (laughs) And then, then you think about it and it's like, dude, that guy might work a factory job working seven days a week. And he got like two days vacation he could use to go hunt, shoot anything. And I guarantee you that guy is going to take whatever (laughs) weapon he feels most capable to achieve success on And why would I ever judge him for that whenever he literally gets two days to do it? Right. Well, I think that's the thing too, is is if people can understand that emulation is part of the process, like you're going to, you're going to buy the wrong gear because somebody says they support it or, and it may not be the wrong gear for them. It might be the wrong gear for you, but I've got, I've got trial and error experience in that myself. You know, I've had vinyl harnesses that were absolute fucking garbage. And, uh, they were loud and they were, you know, they were flapping up in my face. Um, that company has made improvements on them. And I've since gone on to another company that, uh, that I've been using the last few years and, you know, it's, it's nothing against them. It's just, that was the arc of their progress on those bino harnesses. The new ones seem yeah. to be great. Um, but I was using that and I decided I needed something different. So what I would encourage anyone to do, and it's not always easy, um, not always easy, but it's probably easier than you think. If it's, if you're hunting for a bow or if you're, you're looking to buy a bow, go to the bow shop and shoot every bow. They will let you shoot and they will. They'll there. That's, that's part of their job is to fit your bow exactly to you. And what I found, uh, I did buy a bow somewhat under the influence of, you know, suggestion and whatnot away from a bow that I'd had for 14 years. That was awesome. That I knew that I trusted that I believed in. But also after 14 years, I thought it's time to get something else. And I, I followed a marketing purchase. Like I, I followed a, a trend to buy a specific bow and the bow was fine. It wasn't good. It wasn't great. Um, I felt like I, it was kind of like a Harley Davidson. I felt like I worked on it more than I shot it, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but no, nevertheless, uh, I killed some animals with it. So maybe it wasn't a terrible bow, but I just didn't enjoy shooting it. So yeah. I went back went to the process. I shot prime. I shot elite. I shot Hoyt. I shot expedition. I shot my Matthews. And it just so happened to be the previous bow that I owned for 14 years was a Matthews bow that I bought and purchased and I purchased full price with my, you know, my own money. Um, it's a VXR. It's a Matthews VXR 31 and a half. I know that Matthews puts, puts a lot of emphasis on their ergonomics, the way things feel in your hand and the way things hold it just felt familiar to me. So, and I've shot very well with that bow. Same thing for a rifle, go get fitted for one of those, go, go shoot a bunch. Um, but really when it comes to packs or it comes to bino harnesses or it comes to anything, do not trust any influencer whatsoever. Yeah. Maybe get some guidance from them or familiarize yourself with a brand because of someone you like. And there are some really good people out there that ha- that have sponsorships and whatnot. But I'm saying the vast majority of people are just looking to sell you a product so they can get paid. And I, and that's an ugly reality on any yeah. industry, not just hunting industry, in a, any industry. But there are avenues that you can approach as a new hunter uh, to try out different packs, to try out different bows, to try out different rifles, to try out different bino harnesses, different binoculars. I mean, do your diligence so that when you understand the gravity of what you're doing, which is ultimately taking a life, 
you've done more than just been a product placement ad, you know, and that's the funny thing about it is, you know, you end up advertising for these people and maybe a year into your, or, you know, six months into the season or a year into owning this stuff, you're like, well, this is all crap, but you've done exactly what they wanted you to do. Yeah. You know that you made me think of a uh, thing I thought about several years ago, like, well, probably back when I was about 18 years old. Um, I used to get the old muscle and fitness magazines and flex or whatever those are. And they'd have like the routine in them. And, um, I always got a kick out of the, it'd be an ad and you turn to it and it'd be like nitro tech hardcore. I remember I ordered it and I took that protein and it would be like, I don't remember Jay Cutler or somebody on there. And he's like, I take this, this is how I got to where I am today. And, you know, obviously the guy is like juice to the gills. <laughs> He's yeah. like, this protein shake got me where I am today. Yeah. And uh, I finally did wise up enough and be like, now, wait a minute. I don't think that this guy is just taking these protein shakes and getting where he <laughs> is today. Like, so it's just like that. I mean, the dude's getting paid to push that. So, yeah, do your due diligence. And actually on a bow, I, I encourage people go to your bow shop and shoot the used bows. Um, my, yeah, I bought absolutely. a, uh, man, my first bow was a piece of shit from, it was like a reflex growler. Uh, I bought like the ready to hunt pack yeah. from like Bass Pro or something. And it was a 27 inch draw. I knew nothing about bows. I've got a 29 to 29 and a half inch draw length. This bow was set at 27 inches. I knew so little about bows. I didn't know anything about that. I hated shooting it. I went to uh, the pro shop and they had a DXT, a Matthews DXT. And um, man, I bought it for like 300 bucks and it was already set up. It already had sights and everything on it. And that bow was a Cadillac. My progression is the reflex growler would, I don't even know what kind of piece of shit jalopy I'd compare it to, but then the, the DXT was a Cadillac and I hunted with it for a couple of years. And then I went and bought a Halon 32 mm-hmm. and that's like the Ferrari. That's essentially the same now. model I have. It's, it's, it's just a couple variations different. Oh, know? on the, on the VX, would you say VXR? Yeah. Or VXT? It went to the, the Halon 32 became the, there was one in between that. I think it started with an A and then it went to the VXR and then the V3 and then the V3X this year. And, you know, that's another thing. Uh, I I certainly don't want to tell anybody what to do or, you know, if I got a free bow every year, I would, I would love a free bow every year, but I'm not going to, I will personally never ever tell someone that the, the changes and advancements made in bow technology from one year to the next is like, Oh my God, revolutionize the world change like, yeah. shoots the deer for you kind of thing. You know, yeah. it, it just, there might be some things that make sense. Like uh, just, to, just to stay on Matthews. Cause that's what I shoot last year. One of the, uh, the cable rods was instead of being straight it angled down. And this year they moved the, uh, the pin sight from the outside of the frame, they made a the hole that runs through the middle of the frame. So it's centralized. I mean, those are, those are things that you can clearly tell are advancement, but yeah, dude, I would shoot that bow versus a V three versus my VXR set up the same all day long. 
I'm going to hit exactly what I'm looking at because right now I hit exactly what I'm shooting at out yeah. to 75, 80 yards with confidence. So yeah, I don't know that I need a new bow every year. Again, if I was afforded that option, uh, it, it might make more sense, but dude, I, I gained a lot of respect and really, again, you know, talking about don't be influenced, but I'm talking about an influencer. I think that's in part why Remy had some trouble with one of his last bow sponsors was he did not want to leave a model that was three to four years old because he loved it more than the newer models that were coming out. And listen, that's the way it should be. Like, dude, I've had, I've had a pair of jeans that, that I've loved. I will pick up every time over the new ones. I've got a backpack that I will pick up every time over the new ones. Once you get comfortable with something, I think you should kind of milk that feeling until it runs out. Like, well, okay. I clearly see mine is not what it was. And this is a clear advancement. Like, three to four years is probably a fair assessment for most people. I would say maybe even longer. I, I probably, oh, five, man, I, I'd say five to six years, maybe like if you really get into it, three to four years for me is, is going to be my, kind of my trade up cycle. Uh, yeah. I've had that Halon 32 now for, I don't even remember. I bought it when it came out. So probably, so probably three, about, three, four years. Yeah. So now my buddy, well, my buddy Brent, he has a no cam, the Matthews yeah. no cam. Yeah, and that bow is probably pushing. I bet it's pushing eight years old, and he kills a hell out of deer with that thing every year. Like well, it's no less lethal. And that's the other thing too is like there's a part of me that romanticizes the idea of that's the bow that I, I you know, we talked about a, a person that uh, is actually sending me a bow, and he's like, I've killed sixty animals with that thing, you know. And it's yeah. like there's there's a that is a different bow to me now than if it was brand new in a wrapper. Like there, mm-hmm. there's an obligation to commit to it and understand it and respect the capability of that bow in the proper hands. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that that's kind of what I look at too. And you know, it, it just, it just does no good for me to get a new bow every year, you know? And it's, oh, it, they're so expensive too, man. Well, and <laughs> but that's the thing is I, again, I'm trying to alleviate some of that pressure that people feel because, you know, I have friends that, that are target archers. I hunt with them in Oklahoma. They get new bows every year. And dude, it's part of, it's part of their, it's part of their world. And, you know, they're very, very dedicated to archery. Like they, yeah. they shoot target, they shoot foam, they shoot animals. So it's, it's a bigger investment for them than it is for me in my life. It's a part of the pie for me. It's a little bit more of the pie for them. And yeah. uh, I respect that. So I get that there is a person and a place and a time and a place for that option. But the average person listening in, I think you gave them perfect advice. Go to your bow shop, shoot the used ones. Cause there's always good ones. Dude, I found at a gateway archery down in Fort worth, my buddy, Jim favor, one of the, you need to meet Jim. He, you need to get that guy on your podcast. One of the finest human beings I've ever met. I stay in touch with that guy and he had a car, a Hoyt carbon defiant, which was a very, very sought after bow for years and years, brand new. It was $500. Like the guy, they lose value like crazy. The guy had bought it. Uh, I think gone through a divorce before it came in. And, uh, I think Jim gave him his money back, which was about $500 for the down payment. And then all he was trying to do was cover the difference was the 500 on the back end. So there's always a good option uh, on a, on a used bow, but nevertheless, if you have a bow shop that's worth a shit at all, and if they've been in business for more than five years, they probably are. Um, you'll be able to get fitted for exactly what you need 
And, yeah. and, and that's the most important thing because really a bow is like a fingerprint. You know, the way that I set my sight is tailored to my eye, to the way that I hold my shoulder, to the way that I draw. Um, those are important things to consider. And I know we kind of went bow heavy on that spectrum, but it's the same dude. I, I was working two rifles when I was in Arizona and Michael has a, a, a high cheek pad on a rifle. And I tried to shoot on that and dude, I, you know, I never could quite get comfortable. And that's why I was having some trouble on that scope was that cheek pad was pushing my orbital high. So I was looking yeah. down through that scope. I was getting a little bit of that half moon effect and uh junior has an, as a rifle and he's a little bit more my height. He, he prefers no cheek pad, just a straight standard rifle. And that as soon as I got down on it and was able to find it, it, it fit. So two rifles built by the same company, 98% the same components, but subtle differences made one. And that was the actual conversation I had was, can you see him? Yes, I can see him. Can you shoot him? And I said, I probably could, but I will not attempt to because I don't feel comfortable. You know, I, I could see him enough, but I was still struggling so much. And then uh, the next day, whenever I actually was successful on the bull, I got down and, you got a good visual on him. Oh dude, he's perfect. Everything is exactly how I'd want it to be. I arranged him out so I could kind of get a, you know, a bird's eye. And then I zoomed in on him. Dude, it was, it was everything that you'd want a rifle to be and take away the scope and that cheek pad. And they're exactly the same rifle, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's important to talk to people that know what they're doing. There's industries built around this in small towns. Uh, I can't imagine anywhere being an hour from a good gun shop or a bow shop. I mean, they're just popular. Well, that's what like, if for me, because we need, and as with everything, you got to have new blood to sustain the industry. And, um, the, the barrier to entry is harder with a bow on all aspects than it is with a rifle. Mm -hmm. And I say that meaning like the average guy, if I look at it, let me think in terms of a blue collar Southern guy out here. A lot of them guys ain't going to have like 3,500 bucks to go spend on all this gear and everything else. Sure. But you can go buy, like if, you know, if they're like, man, I'm only going to buy a new. Cause I, you know, man, I, I, I look at things as I was raised. I was raised wearing Walmart camouflage. Sure. Like I've been hunting for 20 years and two or three years ago, I bought my first set of like expensive, nice camouflage. Mm -hmm. And I never left, like I never sold myself short on hunts because of shitty camo. I just had to layer up more. Yeah. But, um, but from an entry standpoint, dude, you can, if you were going to go buy brand new, let's say I'm going to buy only new, a new bow, bare bones, is going to be around a thousand dollars for one of the like name brands. And then you're going to drop nearly another grand in sights, peep set up and arrows and everything. You're going to have close to two grand just in your boat. Let's say, let's say a thousand to two grand. Cause that Torex from Hoyt, I think comes set up around 900. So let's just say, okay. uh, let's yeah. just say a grand to two. Well, a grand to three grand now, because you know, one of the brands pushed the the premium level up another grand, you know, the base yeah. bow is 1900 now. So, and no shit on them. It's, it's, yeah. it's a new technology for 2021. So, yeah, but, and then, you know, arrows ain't cheap. You get arrows and then 
But then let's say the guy has no gear. He's going to buy him some camouflage. I mean, if you bought name brand, you're going to spend a thousand dollars in camouflage. And so, oh, oh yeah. Like that could be, that could almost not even be full set. Um, Now let's go to it here. Like let's look at a new rifle. Let's go. That's, you got that side. Let's go to Logan's like (laughs) Southern, Southern mentality. I'm trying to get a guy in there. I want him to kill a deer. I want him to experience it. I'm going to tell him to go get a Ruger American Predator. And like, that was the same gun I was going to say, by the way. As a matter dude, of fact, that, that gun's awesome. That is the, it's a great freaking start. Like, I mean, I've actually got it. I've put a Magpul chassis on it and made kind of like a long-range gun. But you can get one of them, multiple calibers, man. I mean, I, I deer hunt primarily with a 270. That's best, but, yeah. Dude, you, you could get it in a 270. You're going to buy that rifle for like 350 bucks or something mm-hmm. like, and it's a great rifle. Um, the stock is kind of cheap, but you're starting out. It's a, it's a very killable, great rifle. You can put a freaking Vortex diamond back or something on it for like 150 bucks scope. And I'm going to go, we'll go to Walmart and I'm going to help you pick out some good gear. We can go to Academy or somewhere um, there's, there's a lot of like not name brand camo that is really good. And, uh, you know, you can get a full spread shirt, pants, jacket for probably, man, I bet you could go to a place like that and spend 300 bucks. Well, so, I mean, I'll give you the example. I went through the opposite. I had some camo from a couple of companies, uh, that I would put in the premium price range as far as their known companies, premium product, et cetera. And I had some some warm season stuff and I had some cold season stuff. And that that also challenges your budget too, you know. So yeah. if you can find something that kind of splits down the middle, well, I'll tell you right now, I've killed more animals in the last two years wearing a $49 old school camo Sorenex sweatshirt than anything else I've worn. So yeah. I uh, I was going through some, some talks with a company about, you know, getting some, some gear for cold gear. And it went through, well, we can give you this discount. We need this many posts a month. We need this and this and this and this. And dude, it just, it just kind of started to feel like this is what I want to get away from. And I'm glad that email came because I did have that reaction to this is exactly what I don't want. I don't want to feel obligated to dress like a clown just so I can take a fucking picture for these people. Uh, And they don't give a shit about me. They don't give a shit about anything, but that picture. Right. So anyway, I went to Cabela's. I remember I was talking to you. I was mad actually in a way. Uh, and I went to Cabela's, but I went in and I bought bibs. I bought warm line pants. Um, all this is all redhead and Cabela's brand. Okay. Stuff I've seen every farmer around here. If it's not mossy Oak or Browning or, you know, something yeah. along those lines, but I spent just over $400 and literally did not have one second. Now I'm getting ready to go to Oklahoma and I'm going to put it to the test. Cause I freeze my dick off in Oklahoma. But yeah, I had no regret whatsoever because I was comfortable. I was successful on my hunt, had everything that I needed, and I still had money in my pocket and would have had money in my pocket relative to a much different income bracket than I'm in. Like I, I bought those things because they were practical. And, you know, yeah. I, I want to be able to tell somebody face to face, it's not because I wore X brand or because I shot X bow or had X rifle or this or that and the other. 
hell, I killed that elk wearing a pair of uh, those off-the-grid pants, you know, yeah. just the regular pants, and a damn, uh, I had that sweatshirt and a, and a Sornex Outdoors t-shirt on, you know? Yeah. Like, in whitetail woods, that's a different scenario. You need a little bit more camo, but nevertheless, I, I just have rejected the idea that you, you are going to decide for me what I wear or what I yeah. shoot or how I hunt. And, you know, I think for me, um, that was a sense of freedom that I will never give back. Now that I've kind of felt that and realized, man, I'm not obligated to anything. And, you know, yeah. that's that was something that I was trying to get away from in a sense. And then also working with Sornex Outdoors, it frees me up to give honest feedback on multiple products. And that way, hopefully, I can I can help people from feeling what I felt at certain times. Yeah. Well, tell you this, um, growing up with wearing the cheap camo, uh, because I know a lot of the argument about these high dollar brands is, well, you can hunt longer. You can stay in the field longer. Um, I would just say get tougher. If that's like (laughs) the problem, then you need to get tougher. Um, because I was deer hunting the other day. And I'm in my full spread of high dollar camo. Man, I look cool. <laughs> to make it, it looks your cool. And I even have, there's some bibs I got with this. And I mean, they're bad. Like I'm like in a freaking toaster oven in this thing. But the wind was blowing so hard. I was, I was cold. Like, yeah. and I'm, I'm sitting up there in all of my gear. I'm probably wearing $1,700 worth of camouflage yep. and I am cold. And, uh, yeah. now it was windy. I could have taken, cause I've got the rain pants and shirt. Yeah, I probably could have put them on over the top and I'd have been like the kid in a Christmas story that like can't even move anymore, but that might've blocked the wind and I'd have been toasty. Like it'd yeah. been good, but it made me think to myself while I was up there, I'm like, you know, in all reality, all the gear is pretty relative at this point. Like there's some cheaper brand stuff that's just, it, I would have been about the same degree of comfort wearing stuff that cost probably a third of what that did. Well, that's what I'm telling you, man. I had, so I got one of the, uh, well, I texted you, I yeah. texted you yeah. and asked you about your gear because you, and you said you were freaking toasty or something. So I had, uh, this is what I wore in Kentucky whitetail end of October. It's cold. I mean, it's cool, real like twenties, thirties in the mornings, forties, fifties in the day. I had on a pair of, uh, so I wore, I started with the redhead insulated pant and my bibs, uh, yeah. on a real cold morning by eight o'clock I was warm when that sun started coming up. So the next day mm-hmm. I wore, um, uh, two pairs of liner pants. I wore my hex, which I, I do believe in that hex product. Um, I wore that over a pair of like under armor, like warm, warm gear. And then yeah. the bibs inside of my gun boots, my 800 insulate, uh, insulated boot legs were never cold whatsoever. I had on a long sleeve under armor, warm gear. And then I had on, um, uh, Let's see. I had on the Sornex Outdoors t-shirt and then I had on one other long sleeve kind of half zip shirt. And yeah. I, I, I would start with that Sornex sweatshirt on and I would strip down to that camp, that matching camo half zip. It was like a fleece. Yeah. Um, yeah. And dude, I was plenty warm, 
plenty warm. Many yeah. times, like there's a couple times when it was up like 10, 11, I was in the bibs and just my t-shirt, you know, with a long, <laughs> yeah. with the long sleeve heat gear. Now, one other thing I did change, um, I started wearing one of those, like you'll see basketball players, like wear a forearm sleeve. When you start yeah. getting multiple layers on, if you're shooting with a bow, that's a good idea. Um, I'll, po- I'll post one up somewhere, but nevertheless, that's one of the changes that I made this year because shooting some with my layers on in practice, I noticed that I was ruffling my, my shirt a little bit and that would, yeah, I wouldn't miss bad, but at 20 yards, an inch at 80 yards or, you know, 50 yards or whatever it is, it can be three, four, five inches. And that can be a shoulder blade versus a heart shot or something like that. So yeah. some of those little things, but again, I, I stand by the things that I got at Cabela's, uh, the, the bottom half was mostly redhead brand, which is, I think kind of like their, their entry tier. And then they have the Cabela's brand, which is kind of like a second tier. And it wasn't one way or the other. I could have, I could have picked the, you know, I could have picked one or the other, but they just had stock in the redhead bottoms and they had stock in the Cabela's top. So I got a Cabela's fleece. I got a Cabela's raincoat and I got a Cabela's wind, like winter puffy jacket, all of yeah. them with silent technology, the pants, the bibs. Dude, I mean, it, it, under $500 for all that. And, and you're yeah. talking about, so let's say $500 for, uh, cause I got to go here pretty quick, but we'll give a last minute rundown. So $500 for your camo that would cover any and everything. You might even be able to get away with a little bit less if you live somewhere warm. Um, yeah. a, a rifle you're talking, let's say with just the entry level scope, a ride on a, a vortex or, you know, even a, a basic Leopold or something like that talking 150 200 rifle say 400 dollars. you're 1100 there backpack 50 dollars at walmart um yeah so. yeah like I, that is a good point i because i hunted with the old school backpack for a long time what sure. i used to do <laughs> well you know and uh, i had a browning backpack the first two seasons i came back and that thing i mean it served its purpose well um yeah. so yeah, i think for 1500 dollars or less as a rifle hunter you can get in the game specifically yeah. i mean definitely definitely on the eastern hunting and western hunting that's i think where some of the layering systems and the camo becomes a little bit more intricate and i don't want to speak too heavily on that because it's definitely not something i've, I've mastered uh, on that front but i've hunted out there successfully in camo it wasn't ideal as far as like i probably could have layered a little bit more effectively but i stayed yeah. i stayed warm you know what i mean so it's within reach um bow hunting does get a little bit more expensive. Uh, and then again, you have to factor in your time, how expensive is your time? Because like I said, if you want to be a guy like Aaron Snyder that hunts 200 days a year with a trad bow and is extremely successful with a trad bow, if you listen to any of his podcasts or watch his stuff, he, he blows a lot of stalks or, you know, doesn't get the animal or, or whatever. So he, he is trading maybe cost of things for the time of things. If you yeah. want the most cost effect, excuse me, Cost effective, time effective, rewarding, go with a rifle. If, yeah. And I think once you master that and you've kind of got your feet wet and you say, this isn't a challenge anymore, or, or kind of like you said, you just lose your luster for it a year, for a year or something because you kill a big buck, that bow's always going to be for sale. That expensive camo is yeah. always going to be for sale. So I would say tiptoe into this in a way that you're comfortable with, that makes you feel good, that gets the job done and then challenge yourself further into the, to the, to the sport well, aspect of hunting. If I was going to add a final caveat on that. And one thing I always kind of say with that is, um, why I encourage people to go kind of the cheaper route to start. You might hate it. 
Yeah, um, sure. You know, some people might kill an animal and be like, boy, I don't like this. You know, like they might take the life of a deer, take the life and be like, this is really not for me. Yeah. Um, so I would much rather have a grand or less in something than to be about three grand deep into something and be like, I don't even like this. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you want to go one step lower border of entry, uh, go to a pawn shop, get a gun. I do recommend getting a new scope just because those things are so finicky and fragile, fragile. Yeah. Uh, you want a good reticle and everything on that. So maybe even a pawn shop rifle, get a new scope. And then dude, you can even go to uh, Goodwill and find camo there sometimes. Like oh, yeah. if you're, if you're really, just dedicated to doing it on the cheap. I know tons of guys around here and I'm talking not, not five, not 10. I'm talking 20, 30, 40 guys at the hunt club. They'll wear either dark green pants or like khaki pants and they'll wear a dark colored flannel and man, they kill yeah. big deer every, they still hunt, you know, it's you just walk with your rifle across your arm. You take a few steps, turn, listen, take a few steps, turn, listen. They kill big deer every single year and they've used the same rifle since 1978 you know so it's it's whatever you want to make it i hope this this episode kind of helped clear some of the cobwebs i hope you had some fun with the stories i certainly enjoyed it logan i always appreciate you man but uh yeah if you have any questions you can hit me up you can hit logan up and i'll I'll give you the details and intro message uh, later but yeah i can't uh i can't think of something that i'm happier i've gotten back into and and I'm more proud of myself for kind of finding my way through it. Yeah. Well, man, like I said, I, I'm always, it's always a blast chat with you. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, I hope that we, we maybe kind of cleared the waters a little bit for some more people. We might've muddied it for some others who knows, but um, man, I, I'm honored that you had me on the show again. I appreciate it. Well, no worries, man. I'll get this out probably tomorrow or the next day, but I appreciate you. And I'll talk to you later, man. Have a good one. All right, brother. Take it easy. See you, man.